Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Monday morning, March 1st, 2021. Special show today as baseball's March Madness has arrived. Spring training games began on Sunday. Got them for another four weeks until the real thing starts. Later on in this show, bring in my friend AJ Mass to talk about points league strategy, rankings, and the latest news. We'll have some hash browns with producer Kyle Sapi as well. But today we are joined by a very special guest to talk about all the prospects in the land. Fantasy managers love their prospects. Good morning, ESPN MLB insider Kylie McDaniel. How are you today, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, it's our pleasure. Uh, we want to talk about some prospects here. And uh, your number one prospect might not debut anytime soon, but I think we should talk about him first because what I read and see is people view Wander Franco of the Tampa Bay Rays as a generational talent. And I want to know when you think he's coming up because I think that's the most important question fantasy managers want to know. They know about the pitchers and Pearson and Rosarena, but Wander Franco, is he coming up in May or June? Is it September? Is it not at all? What are your overall thoughts on him? I would guess somewhere in the sort of July um, All-Star game kind of area, not because that's when he's going to be ready or that's when they're going to feel like they have to call him up, because I think we've seen with Tampa, they're both loaded in the middle infield, loaded in general in terms of like big league hitters that they want to give time to. Uh, they also tend to play, given their market, the service time game, and he hasn't even played in double A yet. So there's all kinds of reasons to leave him down for a month or two. And I think uh, I've been told that they are going to play him at different spots around the field so that if there is, you know, an opening for two months in right field, they don't want to call him up and have that be the first time he's been in right field. Uh, so they're like preparing for him being the best option. But also it's possible that there's no big slumps or big injuries. Everybody performs fine. He spends the year in double A AA and triple A and then comes up in September and, you know, doesn't really offer that much fantasy value. But I would guess somewhere around July, something like that comes over. All right, moving on to the next guy here. Um, let's talk about your rankings for fantasy for 2021. And your number one guy is uh, also a Ray. It's Randy Rosarena, who was a superstar last year in September and in October for the Rays get, getting to the World Series. But he was never really regarded, I don't think at all, as a top 100 prospect. He's still st- still a rookie-eligible player, which is why we discuss him here. Uh, and we rank him in the fantasy world as a like a top 70 player overall, which I think is a little crazy because, again, he was never a top prospect. What are your thoughts on a Rosarena? Is he a, a 30 home run guy that we saw in October or is everybody maybe overrating him just a little bit? He's interesting. I know uh, at, at came to ESPN last year, uh, Eric Longenhagen and I at Fangraphs had him, I want to say, between 100 and 120 on the list. And I think that's where I had him at ESPN also. Uh, he was on sort of the fringes. He performed in AAA. I know it doesn't matter for fantasy, but he was a center fielder that had a chance to have above average tools across the board. And then obviously he came up and there's the whole story. I'm not sure, you know, how much of that is driving it, uh, with the chicken and rice and hits a ton of home runs. And I don't think anybody thinks that he goes from fringe top 100 guy while he was in AAA to, you know, top 70 player in baseball or, you know, top 10 prospect in baseball. Never really saw that coming. Uh, so I would expect something like, uh, you know, 250 to 270, 20, 25 homers, maybe more power than speed going forward, which, I mean, you can tell me where that sort of fits in the firmament of fantasy, but he's already done it in the big leagues at the highest possible level. So there's no like, are they going to let him play? Is he really ready to do it like right now? When is he going to reach his potential? Like he's answered all of those questions. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't expect him to be like the MVP candidate he looked like in the playoffs, which I don't think most people think he will be. 
And based on what you just said about him, I think fantasy manager or people that do rankings, and we'll get AJ's opinion later in the show, might be overrating him because 250 to 270 with 25 home runs, that's not necessarily a top 100 fantasy option. But let's get to some more players. Now, in your rankings here for fantasy, how much how much is that statistical performance that you expect? How much is, is it that you expect him to be in the majors for 500 plate appearances or 150 innings? Because I'll get to that point in a second with Jared Kalenic, but um, – your rankings, is it based on playing time that you expect or is it based on performance that you expect? Uh, a little bit of both. Like uh, I mentioned that the top five guys are all pretty tightly packed because they all uh, look like they will be opening day full season guys that have already played in the big leagues and performed some last year uh, and offer like, you know, some, uh, you know, obviously like defensive value in terms of position or some speed. Uh, like those are the guys that are the top of the list where like, there's no real question about playing time. They've already performed and I think they're going to be good. And then once you get outside of that group, it's, well, are they going to come up, you know, mid season, couple weeks in, are they enough variants that they may not stick the whole season. And then there's some guys that are, you know, some guys in the Orioles more specifically that are probably going to play most of, or not the whole season, but they're probably just, you know, kind of average everyday players. So you kind of have to balance all of those things. And I try to give you enough information there that if what you're looking for is a guy that'll play half a season, but could, you know, threaten for rookie of the year votes, like a clinic is a good example, or Gary Sanchez back in the day, you might want to go more of that flavor than like the Ryan Mountcastle, like Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer, Orioles example of guys that will be up opening day, but probably won't be like rookie of the year type guys. So let me get to Kalenic because uh, last weekend, I think it was last weekend, a now former Seattle Mariners executive said the wrong thing. But one of the right things he did say in his uh, rambling speech was that the Mariners expect to call Kalenic up in April. That's a very big deal in fantasy and obviously a bit different than what we were expecting as a dog barks. Because if Kalenic comes up in April, I would argue he's not very much different from a fantasy, from a statistical perspective as say Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals, potential five category players, but you rank Carlson really well and clinic not. Is that because of expected playing time or is it because of performance as well? Yeah, I think he'll be more of a half season guy. He's a good candidate for a guy that I think in a normal year would have started in double A, maybe spent half a season in double A and triple A and then get a chance. Now that triple A is starting a month before double A, I think he'll go straight to triple A. And then if he you know tears it up for the first month, uh, first couple of weeks or whatever it is, spring training. Like, there's an opportunity that he's knocking on the door now because of the way they've set up the minor leagues. So, yeah, I would say he's an example of a guy where if you have any sort of intel, if he goes, you know, off in spring training, if they commit to putting him in AAA, um, then I think there could be a, you know, up within a couple of weeks. I still don't think they'd call him up on opening day because there's just too many incentives to wait two weeks and get an extra year of control. But, I mean, he is a candidate for a guy that could have a huge spring training. The team thinks uh, they, you know, want to build around him or this is year where they're going to compete. And so they'll do the call him up in two weeks rather than two months. Yeah, well, we all know he needs to go back for everybody needs to go back for two weeks because they're not quite ready. Air quotes, you know, fielding wise, and they need two more weeks work of improvement for most players. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it did wonders for Chris Bryant of the Cubs. Um, all right, let's get to some of the starting pitchers here. Now, I know you're not a fantasy manager per se or at all, but I get scared when we talk about prospect pitchers because I think they get hurt more. I think there's always a risk of Tommy John or something, or their teams just holding them back in terms of innings. Whereas with a Carlson or Kalenic, once they're up they're up for good but with like Nate Pearson and Mackenzie Gore how many innings do they get when you're ranking starting pitchers in a general sense for immediacy are you concerned with how teams might treat them to some degree yeah and I think Pearson's a good example where like 
people thought, you know, and I think there is upside of Noah Sendergaard. We've also seen with Noah Sendergaard, that sort of guy that throws really hard can also blow out and be hot and cold at the beginning and wait until they settle in. And there's the, you know, sort of less sexy veteran options that will, you know, spend the whole season as a third or fourth starter. It's probably better if you're not in a keeper league to like take that guy than the guy who could be a number two starter probably a couple years from now. And the odds of you getting an entire season of mid rotation performance is not very good. So yeah, especially the guys like Tristan McKenzie with the Indians, I think he might spend the entire season in the rotation. I'm not sure he can throw 200 innings this year. I'm not sure a lot of pitchers can. So even then you're probably not getting 32 starts or 200 innings. So I'm not sure any of these guys are, you know, nails, stick them at the front of a rotation, uh, you know, or put them next to guys that might throw 200 innings or have in the past. And that's why I think Sixto Sanchez and Ian Anderson, at least they pitched in the playoffs and have been pedigreed guys and performance guys for a long time. They have stuff. Those are the guys I feel pretty good about. I don't, I'm with you. I'm, I wouldn't like jump to take any of these guys ahead of like veteran proven starters. Yeah. And I, and, and in the fantasy world, I like to, uh, invest in hitters over pitchers in general but especially when it comes to young players because young pitchers because seems to me a lot of stuff can go wrong there what's your answer to this question why did the Padres not promote Mackenzie Gore in 2020 so I covered this in the top 100 blurb there's uh, I would say conspiracy theories around the league and it basically is because the alternate site for the Padres did not have trackman data and so because they didn't have data to share they did not opt into sharing their data so teams don't know what happened at their alternate site which I don't think is nefarious at all. They didn't have the data. So why opt in and, you know, uh, and be getting up, have to give them the video from there and not give them the data, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no information there. And then Gordon get called up and got uh, left over by Ryan Weathers. And so teams that are inclined to think something's going on and they with a void of information, are then going to assume something was wrong from talking to multiple sources with the Padres? It was his delivery was a little bit off. He was a little out of whack. They had a couple things to work through. And then as he was getting ready to come up and look like a real option, they said he is unlike Patino, who can come up and pitch in relief, like his sort of stuff works in that role. And even Ryan Weathers, possibly, which is he came up uh, ahead of uh, Gore. They don't think Gore works in short stints. They think he works in longer stints. He pitched one inning at the Futures game, and it didn't. It didn't work because it's just not the kind of guy he is. They told me he would, they would have called him up. They went one more uh, series longer in the playoffs as the game two starter because they're having problems with starting pitching. So everything they're saying is it was just sort of not great timing in the same way that Matt Manning did get called up because of like uh, not that very, not very significant injury at the wrong time. We'll find out probably his second or third spring outing, maybe his first or second minor league outing, if any of this is an actual issue or if there's something to be worried about. I tend to think it isn't, but in when there's not information, teams sort of assume the worst. And I noticed Patino way down in your rankings, and I expected that he was going to be ranked in the same area as some of these other top starters. Maybe I was viewing him incorrectly. Do you have Patino out of your top 40 because you don't think the Rays are going to let him start 20 times, or you think he'll be in the minors, or is it performance-based? I think he'll probably start in the minors. Uh, the other issue with the Rays is they just don't go, they don't let starters go five or six innings that often. They have a lot of really good veteran proven pitchers. I'm not sure he's going to be anything more than a couple innings at a time for half to two thirds of a season. I don't think he's going to go five innings deep in a game to get wins. I'm not sure he's, he's doesn't make any sense for him to get any closing opportunities. And so then for me, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like he's going to throw, you know, 30 to 70 innings and not give you a lot of wins or saves, but has a lot of long-term potential. But for this list of this year only, I don't think he makes sense as like an upside play for one year, but like in real baseball upside play long-term, obviously have him very high. 
And finally, who do you say would be the rookies of the year in real life? Obviously, this would have some fantasy influence there statistically, but who do you think is going to win the rookie of the year awards in each league? I mean, it's a little boring to go with guys that already performed as rookies last year that are high on this list, but I would say Brian Hayes and Ian Anderson are right there. I would tend to go with Hayes, the the hitter, over Anderson, the pitcher. Uh, And then in the American League... uh, I would say Ryan Mike Mountcastle actually might get enough bulk and hit 25 or 30 homers and get some counting stats uh, to compete with Rosarena. But, I mean, you kind of have to go with Rosarena. But if I said Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox, if we find out in the next two weeks that Andrew Vaughn is going to make the team, he would fly up your rankings, right? Wouldn't he have to be a top five guy? That guy can hit. I think he's right there with Kelnick, where if you know he's going to get a full season, then he is right there in that top group of five guys because uh, those those are probably the mo- the the most certainty of performance in the big leagues of guys who have not played in the big leagues yet. All right, that's ESPN MLB insider Kylie McDaniel does a great job with the prospects. He's already looking ahead to the next draft, the 2021 draft. I I, I think he's been watching some Vanderbilt pitchers, so you want to check out his art. If you're in a dynasty league, you got to read this guy so you know who to draft, Kylie. Thank you so much for joining us on Fantasy Focus Baseball today. And I'm working on an article that's going to have some 2022 July 2 guys that are currently 15 years old. So if you're in one of those really crazy dynasty leagues, you, you also have to read me. All right, and now we bring in our points league expert, A.J. Mass, who heard the conversation with uh, my, myself and Kylie McDaniel there. A.J., what are your overall impressions there of that conversation with prospects? And a lot of it comes down to, I think, when are they coming up? Where, like with Kalenic and Vaughn. And then there's other guys like a Rosarena, your stance here on the prospects. Yeah, I definitely think that that service time issue, When if they're starting day one, then they're going to be a lot higher in my rankings. And if I'm not sure if they're coming up or if they're going to, you know, play, play a little loosey goosey with the super two or, or, you know, that, that service time issue is always the question here. I think, you know, like Brian A's, I, he's just outside my top 100 hitters. And I think uh, I really like what he's got going on there. I think uh, a Rosarina, I'm not sure. A Rosarina, you know, is he going to be the type of guy who shines in the in the postseason? Because we've had people like this before who, you know, uh, do great and come out of nowhere. And they're, they're phenomenal in the postseason. And they, they, they do make the all-star team the next year. And then you got other guys who, uh, you know, they come out from nowhere and then you never hear from them again. So I, I don't know what to make of it, but I don't think we put any more heavyweight on Rosarena's small sample size than we would anyone else who shined in the playoffs, because at least it was high-pressure situations. Well, you and me don't, but I think a lot of fantasy managers do, which is why they're going to draft him so early. So Rosarena is likely to show up on my do not draft list, which you'll likely be editing. Sorry. But it's because of value. It's because I would rather take him in round 10 or 11 based on what I prospect project the numbers to be and people are going to take him in round five or six thinking he's going to be a superstar and i can't take him over nelson cruz if he's not going to put up nelson cruz numbers i keep using cruz's example on the shows with me tristan because i I just i i just want the numbers i I don't care how old he is i I, you know all that other stuff so yeah i mean i I was very excited to hear him say some good things about ryan mountcastle because i'm i'm really high on mountcastle he's a guy i think can definitely finished top 100 as well in terms of hitters. And uh, I've definitely taken them late in as many drafts as possible because, you know, the Orioles might not win a lot of games, but they're going to score runs, especially, you know, uh, in the AL East, you know, with the ballparks and these pitching staff. Who knows what's going on with the pitching staff this, this year with, you know, how, how, how are they going to use them? Are they going to pitch them late in the games? Are they going to prepare for these seven-inning double headers and, and have all you – know, there's a lot going on this year that's still in that kind of fluxy – rules situation that we had last year um and don't get me started on the extra inning role but uh i think they're going to score a lot of runs I, they might not 
win because their pitching staff might not be good. But you know, how about the DH rule, AJ? We still don't know about that. The season starts in four weeks. This is ridiculous. And as a Met uh, fan who wants to know if I'm actually going to see Dominic Smith playing at all or not, it matters. <laughs> well, I assume he'll play left field if there's no yeah, DH, but. Man, that's he's a DH. That's what he's made. He's a first baseman. Well, he's a better first baseman than your first baseman. Well, right, but at least with, you know, if, if if you have the extra slot there, I don't care if, if they want to put Pete in DH. That's fine with me. <laughs> but Pete's playing. <laughs> I just want some clarity. Um, you mentioned the Orioles. Uh, I wrote my story on Monday about Trey Mancini, who is back after colon cancer, and what a great story that is. He singled in his first at bat on Sunday. There were every I think every team played on Sunday afternoon, and that's awesome. But we're not going to learn a whole lot from the statistics in spring training games. But maybe, maybe, maybe you feel different. What, when you're looking at spring training box scores, I suspect you're not even looking at them at all. But statistically, what are you watching for in spring training? I'm not looking for anything statistically, really. Because, I mean, I've learned over the years that a lot of times, you know, you'll get pitchers who will tell you, yeah, I, I, I went in there for my three innings and I decided today I'm just going to throw my curveball. You know, if the batters pick up on the fact that he's just throwing his curveball because he wants to work on his curveball for three innings, then what does what how he did mean for the season? It means nothing. Uh, same thing with hitters. You're like, today I want to work on just hitting the left field. You know, you don't unless you know what's going on in terms of their game plan for these games that they know don't count, then th- these stats don't matter to me. I, I do like to see, um, you know, that people are hustling. I, I, I that that means something to me that if you, if you're not if you're not hustling in these games, um, that's just a mental state that I, I'm going to maybe just take note of it again. Does it really mean anything? No, but you're out there, especially this year after after not having a spring training last year. I want to see that these guys want to be there, and to me, that's that's more important to me than any performance. And Mancini obviously wanted to be there, and Mitch Hanniger, I wrote about him too. These are two alphas that did not play at all in 2020, so please move them up your draft boards. They are healthy for today, and hopefully they stay healthy. Um, you mentioned pitchers working on stuff. What was Jack Flaherty working on Sunday? Now, I'm not going to worry yet. It was a February game, but if he's still doing this in two or three weeks, I'm going to start to worry. There's a t- potential top 10 starting pitcher. We all rank him well. He needed 39 pitches to get three outs, three walks, two wild pitches. Control was all over the place. Again, I didn't get to see it, but it worries me a little bit, especially like if this was Adrian Hauser, who we ranked 60th among pitchers, I wouldn't care. But this is a guy who we rank in the top 10. Are you worried about Flaherty? Or do you need to see like three or four outings before you worry? Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to see a few outings before I worry. Like I said, I don't know what he's working on. I, so there may be issues there. You know, for all I know, he got, you know, he, he got in late. Uh, you know, he just doesn't like his bed. You know, there, there's so many things in these situations that we just don't understand that, that, that don't matter to me. Uh, I just don't want to see anyone get hurt. If, 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 if you were talking blisters or, you know, you see a, a limp, then you start to worry. And quite frankly, for points leagues, I mean, Flaherty, I'm not all that high in them this year. Uh, I'm, I've only got them uh, ranked 27th amongst my starters. I mean, you know, it's tight. It's a tight grouping, but I, I'm not all that high on them, to be honest with you. So that really didn't surprise me. <laughs> well, that that's very interesting in itself and something I hadn't noticed. So let's get your reasoning on why your points league rankings, and that's the ESPN standard here is points leagues. Why are your rankings so much different than, say, Tristan and ours? And it can't just be because you're right and we're wrong. Points leagues are obviously different than Roto leagues. Um, so like Flaherty, 27 among starting pitchers, that's a big deal. Why that in a general sense and your differences? Well, there are certain statistics that I think that I have to pay attention to that uh, you don't because, you know, as far as like walks, do walks matter to you? Sure, in terms of whip, but 
a walk is a negative one in, in points leagues. It, you know, the number of walks matters. It, 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 it's a, the walk strikeout ratio, the KBB uh, for both batters and pitchers is huge. And if you don't have a 3.5 or better in that, I don't want you on my team, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll take you know some of these guys who are borderline late to round up my rotation, but 3.5 is a minimum for me. And so there are a lot of pitchers who just fall short of that. And if, if you're falling short of that, uh, like Flaherty does, he's borderline. He's like three, four, seven. That's what, what what I projected him for the season. So that makes him dangerous to me. I'd much rather have a guy who's like in the four or five range, just for, for, certainly for my first three pitchers. Right, and you have some very interesting starting pitcher rankings for points leagues. Uh, Kyle Hendricks in your top ten, ahead of Giolito, ahead of Bueller. Um, going down the list here, Patrick Corbin still in your top 20, even though he had a rough 2020 season, um, velocity was down some concerns there. Oh, here's a guy. Shohei Otani shows up at number 22 among your starting pitchers and number 67 overall. And I've got him like a hundred spots after that in Roto. What do you see in Otani that that makes him so valuable in a points league? And ESPN scoring obviously a little bit different than other well, Yeah, and and the thing the thing with Otani, of course, is is that he has the double eligibility there. And, and certain leagues are going to play it differently, and certain certain leagues are going to allow you to make daily transactions. If you're in a league where you make daily transactions and you can put him in as a pitcher when he pitches and take him out, that's great. If it's a weekly situation, obviously that's not the case. And yeah, even if he only pitches on Sunday, uh, you know. I'm basically ranking him on his hitting value, and that just happens to be where he slots in. Uh, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a pitcher I would want. I just think that because he's eligible both, that's where he slots in there. But if you do have the ability to use him in both spots, I mean, you have to take that into account because, you know, it's getting a free start when he starts, and you can play the matchups with him. Um, the, the picture that I think that I differ the most from you and Tristan on is, is Marquez with the Rockies. I think there's a guy who certainly if you're only using uh, categories with the course feels fa- factor, yeah, certainly you don't want anything to do with him because he's just dangerous there. But this is a pitcher who's got like a 50% ground ball rate. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be on Colorado come trade deadline. I think he's out of there. A, you know, next season, if Blackman goes free agent, he's the highest paid Rocky if he stays. And he's got $42 million coming to him for the next three years. I think this is a salary dump just waiting to happen. I think that I think he's gone, and if he goes anywhere other than Coors, that, that that's ten spots in the rankings right there. I think it's more. I mean, if if, if no, Marquez yeah. was was uh, Lance Lynn and he was on the White Sox right now, he might might be a top ten starting pitcher in our rankings. Which you're right. If he gets moved, that that would be a big difference between him and Charlie Blackman being moved. That's for sure in our fantasy rankings. <laughs> Um, looking at your overall top here, I'm not sure what's more interesting. Jake DeGrom is your number one overall player and Trey Turner is number two. So you have Trey Turner above, above all those Mookie Betts, Tatis, uh, Juan Soto, Mike Trout guys, but DeGrom's number one overall. Explain your pitcher number one overall and explain Trey Turner, your number one hitter. Sure. Well, the thing with point leagues is that when you look at the end of the season rankings and, and who scored the most points, starting pitchers are going to have the most points. It's just the nature of the scoring system with, you know, innings pitched and strikeouts and everything. The pitchers are going to end up at the top. Now, that doesn't mean you automatically put your top 30 as pitchers. um, But I just think this year in particular, uh, with the fact that there may be only five pitchers who hit 200 innings, 
that those guys are going to be so much more valuable in, in terms of points league counting stats that you have to take them earlier or else you're going to miss out on one of the five guys who are probably going to give you those numbers. Uh, it's, it's really, it's a supply and demand situation there. Uh, in terms of Turner over the other guys, I know that a lot of people say, well, he's a stolen base guy and therefore in points leagues, he's less valuable. But those stolen bases lead to him being on second and scoring runs. And if he scores a, 110 runs uh, with, you know, 40 steals, that that's so much better than Ronald Acuna, who is going to strike out probably 50 to 75 more times than he is. And those are negative points. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not so much that the steals count for 20% of his score. It's that the steals plus runs plus RBIs is about even with Acuna, maybe a little less, but he doesn't, he's not going to strike out as much. And so therefore he's going to score more points. And that it's that kind of uh, hitters tend to be more consistent week to week. I mean, yeah, they all go for hot streaks and cold streaks and you're going to have to deal with that. Um, there's a big difference between that and pitchers uh, who, if, you know, if, if you have a two start pitcher in a week, that pitcher is going to, in all likelihood, win or lose your, your team for you. So you need to have those, those aces at the top. So it's not DeGrom over Cole because you're a, a longtime Mets fan and hate the Yankees. It's just because you think DeGrom would be better than Cole. I think DeGrom would be better than Cole. And, I mean, I had Cole over DeGrom at one point, but then this DH thing came in. And, if, if, if you know, if Cole's pitching to DHs and uh, DeGrom isn't, you know, there you go. It certainly matters. Um, so let's say your league is moving from a roto format to points. What are the most important adjustments that a commissioner and uh, the managers in the league need to make? Well, make sure you write all the rules down and make sure everyone reads them. I mean, that's that's first and foremost. I mean, if it's if it's not a keeper league, I don't think there isn't there isn't too much you need to do other than you you do have to evaluate players differently, and that is important. That you you know, wins is not going to be twenty percent of your of your pitcher's value. It it you really want you want innings pitched. You want you want counting sets. Strikeouts are going to be important, but walks are going to be important, and that that's going to be a ratio that's going to matter to you. In terms of uh, pitcher makeup, uh, I like in point systems. Uh, my own personal thing that I like to do is I like to draft an ace within the first three rounds, and then I like to stack nothing but closers. Because if a closer is going to pitch three times a week and get three saves opportunities, he's going to make more points than any starter. Uh, if you multiply that times eight, then you don't have to worry about these starters who might give up five runs and in five innings. And then, oh, my gosh, you've got negative points out of that spot. I'm just going to go on volume and the churn of, of pitchers pitching three times a week. And those 24 outings are probably going to earn me enough points where I'm going to do better than these people who are reaching for pitchers. Um, but you need an ace to kind of like anchor it down. You need a couple of other pitchers there just because, uh, you know, injuries happen. Certainly. Uh, that's just my personal strategy. At the same time, do we know who the closers are going to be this year? I mean, we really don't. And that's also the reason why I think just in terms of, I don't have a lot of, relief pitchers ranked in my top 100 and 200 and 300 and that's unique to this year i usually they get a huge boost but i just don't know who's going to be closing with especially because of the three batter minimum rule um that also has an impact because you know if a guy gives up a, a hit and then the game is now tied he still has to stay in for two more hitters and where's his head gonna be at <laughs> you know it, it it does change how relief pitchers are used by the managers and you got a lot of managers who are just gonna go well eh, i'll just use them in the seventh today the eighth tomorrow the ninth the next day and uh, saves who cares 
Yeah, half the closer situations are still up in the air right now. Um, looking at your rankings here, I see that your first catcher comes in at number 146. Tristan and I have been debating JT Real Muto and where, where he belongs in Roto Leagues, and he's got him like at 50, I've got him at 100, and you've got him at 150. Points Leagues, is there a reason that you have Real Muto and all the catchers lower than us? Is it because of Points League strategy or is it because of what you believe in for catchers? I mostly it is because what I believe in in catchers, it's, it's just, I think the catcher position is just laughable. And quite frankly, let's take the hand situation out of it with real Muto. Cause I don't think I'm going to dock him in terms of, Oh, see, I told you who's going to get hurt. Look, he got hurt. Okay, great. But like, he didn't play a full season last year and he only had to sit through two months. <laughs> he, he couldn't make it through 60 games last year. What makes anyone think he was going to make it through 140 to 150 games this year? I, I just, I just don't see the upside in, in drafting him that early where it's where you're going to have to draft him because he clearly head and shoulders above the rest at his position. If he's healthy and I don't know that he can stay healthy. And again, I'm not even going to bring into the fact that he's not healthy right now. Yeah, it's a fractured thumb. He might be ready for opening day. He might not have any problems with power in April. But then again, he might. And let's not assume that he doesn't get hurt again. I just, I can't understand. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't. He was not active in September last year. And he only had to get through two months, basically. The last two Septembers, he was hurt in both of them. And I love Real Muto, but the Phillies are going to regret that contract. We've talked about how you construct rosters and points leagues. Is there a difference to how you handle in-season management in a points league, depending on the bench? Um, obviously, the pandemic is still here. So talk about differences between a roto and a points league in-season. What are you doing differently? I think it certainly depends upon the size of your bench. Um, but if you have enough room on your bench, like I, I wouldn't worry about using my, my bench for pitching spots. I would just stream pitchers in and not be afraid to lose pitchers along the way and just if pitcher gets called, get rid of him. If he's not your ace, you know, that that's fine. There's always going to be pitching out there that's coming up from the minors or, 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 or whatnot, because we've seen that managers, especially now in this, this new normal, it, they're, they're going to just use the pitchers the way they want to use them. And, and, and there's so many more arms that are going to be out there for you to just stream through. I would use my spots for bench players. I would definitely look at like getting backups for people whose schedules are going to be very much in flux, you know, your Rocky factor, you know, if they're on the road, you might not want Rockies. Uh, you, just, you know, the, those hitters, there's definitely a letdown when they leave Colorado. Even even the Arenados of the world w- went through this. So you want backups for your Rockies, perhaps, or, you know, you want maybe if, if a guy starts to slump, you want to be able to stash him until he comes out of the slump. You know, this is not a situation where like we pretty much know what his stats are going to be at the end of the season in rotisserie. And, you know, we'll, we'll deal with the, the low times because we know by the end of the season, he's going to get his, you know, 30, 100, 100 in points leagues. You know, if you start to dip for three weeks, you know, that's hurting your team. You're going to lose and get losses right then and there. You, you can't afford that. You need to be able to take someone out who's struggling for two weeks and say, you know what, you're out until you come back. Uh, you need to pull the trigger a little faster on that. All right, now it's time to pull the trigger on getting Kyle back in here. We're going to ask some hash browns, and I think he has some trivia as well. So Kyle Soups, Kyle Soppy, researcher, producer, come on down and uh, ask some questions, sir. I'll answer to Soups. That works. I've, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I've been called worse. <coughs> I don't think I right, said we'll the whole some- word. <laughs> but yeah. 
That's all good. We'll start with some trivia to, to get AJ acclimated, then we'll get to the questions. Since the beginning of 2019, Freddie Freeman leads all players with 779 fantasy points. Who ranks second over that stretch among first basemen? I'll let you guys sit on that while we get to the hash rounds. Keith wants you to give him the case of a Rosarena versus Castellanos in your respective formats. I mean, I I just I can't. I, I can't say a Rosarena over Castellanos because we're everybody's just assuming that this guy is gonna be so great. And maybe, maybe he will be. Maybe he'll be hit 25 homers and steal 15 bases. Castellanos has never hit 30 home runs in a season, never batted 300 in a season, and he batted only 225 in 2020. But still, man, that's like seven years of production where I know what he's doing. I will take Castellanos. I'm pretty sure I have Castellanos ranked ahead of Rosarena, but I don't know for sure. AJ, what say you? Uh, yeah, I also have Castellanos a little bit ahead of Rosarena. Like I said, if, if what we saw was – in the, in the postseason is 75% of, 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 you know, if you get 75% of that this year, uh, yeah, I want Randy or Rosarena. I just don't know that that's even going to happen. You know, quite frankly, of those two, I'd probably rather just take a shot at Teascar and, and see what <laughs> he's going to do in Toronto over those two, to be honest with you. With, with the lineup behind him to drive him home, let's get points that way. But I, 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 I don't know if I can trust either of them. Okay, that's fair. I, and Castellanos might be a little overrated too after hitting 225 and not putting up the power numbers that most people think. He might win the doubles title, but that's not a factor. I mean, it's a factor. Thing? Points look. Well, if he not plays really with the, one of the Williams sisters, he will, right? <laughs> win the double title. <laughs> Mixed doubles with Serena. Okay, Kyle, what's next? Mike wants to know how much his ranking should change for Turner and Soto when moving from categories to points. I mean, well, I, obviously, I, 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 obviously I, you've got Turner number one. But I don't think he changed that much. I mean, we're still talking like guys who are like top 10, like yeah, hitters, you know, like it's, it's the little minor things. It's little, little tweaks here and there. It's, it's, you make your projections, you know, you, if you think Trey Turner is going to hit 300 and, and score hundred runs, hit 25 home runs, he should, you know, number one guy based on what we know he's going to do. If you think Soto's going to hit 45 home runs, then, then he's probably much higher. You know, it, it all depends on what you think your stats are. I, I, I think we tend to really try and get those lines so clear. The difference between number one overall and number 10 overall in, in hitters is not that big. Uh, no, you know, it's not, but factor folly here. The main difference I see, and a lot of people see between points and roto, is walks. So, Joey Votto, Carlos Santana, Oyakomova, these guys who may not hit 25 home runs or bat 300, but they're going to walk so much, you can make a case for these guys as top 50 hitters in your rankings, right? It, well, uh, you used to, I mean, it used to be the Votto, Votto was like automatically just bumped up, you know, 25, 30 spots just because of that. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of hitters who are really anymore hitting those milestones to the point where it, it makes as much of a difference. It used to be a lot more delineated when you had your, like your, your uh, Bautistas who were always, you know, 1.1, you know, K to BB, and they actually, you know, we won't strike out at all. You know, that those are great players to have. Um, you don't really have a lot of players like that because we're so much into the three true outcomes these days that everyone's striking out at these ridiculous rates that most of your top hitters are probably going to strike out 125 times. It, 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 it's, there's not a lot of, of difference here. So I, I say just draft talent for five rounds and then start looking for these guys. Like, you know, don't take Eloy Jimenez because he's, his walk strikeout ratio is awful. But 
you know, there's a point where you are going to take him. <laughs> but Carlos Santana, he's in, he's in your number, uh, he's in your 12th round. And in Roto Leagues, we don't have him in the top 200. So that's a big difference between points and Roto there. Right. And, and he's going to walk 100 times. Comes in, yeah. It, I don't think you're going to see it as much at the top of, of the list as it is in those middle rounds. I would agree with that. All right, Kyle, what's next? All right, Brian wants to know what you guys think about moving on from DeGrom in a points dynasty league. Have we already seen his peak? Mm-hmm. Yes and no. Yes, we've seen his peak, and no, you don't move on from him. I mean, look, it's a guy who's going to yes. Yeah, well, okay, there you go. Uh, oh, yeah, make fun of my uh, – haven't had my second cup of coffee yet. Fine. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it, like I say, is, is he going to win three more Cy Youngs? No, I don't think so. So I do think we've probably seen the best of him, but that still doesn't mean he's not one of the top three pitchers in the league right now. Uh, is, you know, if he doesn't get hurt, and then at least one pitcher gets hurt every year, and, you know, hopefully uh, you know, won't be him. That's all. But uh, I, I think he is definitely worth keeping. And, you know, if, if you see him start to struggle, sure, you want to – get out while the going's good, that, that's that's in-season management and figuring out if you're a keeper league and all that stuff. But I wouldn't move on from him at all. Eric, you have any concerns or not so much? You're okay with... Uh, I'm the guy who argued... I'm the guy that argued with Tristan that Nelson Cruz should be ranked in the top 100 in a dynasty format. So I, I'm not shying away from DeGrom unless he's 38 years old and even then I might not. I just... if You, you still want to win in year one and two of your dynasty league. So I, I understand taking Spencer Torkelson over Nelson Cruz, but I can't do it. That's all. That's all. You know. <laughs> I, I think that's critical, though, because you have to kind of pick a lane and stick to it in Dynasty, do you not? Like, if you're going to build for 2027, like, then build for 2027. But if you're going to build to win this year, that's kind of like you kind of got to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Yeah, I, I like to I like what I what I draft. I like to draft younger guys versus older guys if they're in the same tier. But I, I I'm not going to draft a whole bunch of rookies this year in particular. I'm not. You know, when it comes down to the last four bench spots in, in, in a you know where you can keep the whole roster, yeah, heck yeah. I'm you know I'm going to load up on as many of these top ten prospects as I can, and if you know they don't come up, they don't come up. Um, but you know, it's 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 asinine to think that you're going to win this year uh, with and, and, and you know, especially with the pitchers. Like, how many of these pitchers have have not shown up? Have done nothing. I mean, I I drafted a pal. I I know. <laughs> if you're taking Mackenzie Gore or Zach Granke and you want to try to win the next year or two, that's just a mistake. I, I Gore's probably going to be great for ten years, but probably is maybe too strong a word. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Even the ones who, who do okay for a while. I mean, you know, if you mortgaged your future for Steven Strasburg, you know, it didn't really work out the way you wanted it to. It hasn't been a complete disaster, but it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. All right. Last one here comes from Mac. He wants to know if Justice Sheffield is a sleeper in deep leagues this year and what's his appeal in Dynasty? He's a Mariners pitcher, and that scares me in a general sense because it's not a very good team. It's not like drafting a Baltimore pitcher, but whenever I, I think of a young – I'm thinking of a young lefty here who I, I don't think is going to have a ton of strikeouts. If he ever got to 200 innings, he would have like 160, 170 strikeouts based on what I've seen so far out of him. So I like him, but, man, I can't – I don't have shares of him anywhere. And I think part of that, and maybe there's a bias here, is like 
When I look at Detroit, oh, everybody loves Casey Mize. What's Detroit? They're going to be bad. I look at Baltimore. Like when you're a bad American League team and half the American League teams are bad right now, like I, I almost don't want to have your starting pitchers because I feel like you're going to be giving up a lot of runs just because of what's around you. Is that bad? I think, I think you're right. And again, is like, is is it your last roster spot and you're deciding between him and Garrett Richards? Yeah, go, go for Seth Sheffield. That, that's fine. Um, they're essentially the same statistical pitcher right now. But other than that, I, you know, you got to take somebody who's going to be much better strikeout versus walk ratio on the regular there. I'd, I'd much rather just stick to old man Charlie Morton. <laughs> I mean, like people are going to take Justice Sheffield over Marco Gonzalez, who's so underrated and now getting to the point where he's going to end up overrated in the rankings. But just take some sure things like how many like prospect pitchers. I, I don't even want more than one per team. If I even want one on a team, Sheffield to me is still a prospect. So, yeah, I'm with you. All right, let's bring Kyle back in for the trivia answer here. I assume, well, my first thought when I heard the question is that, well, AJ's a Mets fan. He used to be Mr. Met. Peter Alonzo might be the answer. Um, but, you know, AJ, you're the special guest. You should get the answer to the question first unless Alonzo is the answer. <laughs> well, I mean, unless there's some sort of chicanery going on here and it's it's like, a, oh, he qualifies at first base, LeMahieu, who may have snuck in there. I was thinking it was Jose Abreu, but that's just my thought. Jose Abreu, 623 points, ranks 19 behind the correct answer. Jose Abreu, first baseman number three, not two over this stretch. So it's not Pete Alonzo. It is not Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo's fourth. It's not former Philly great Ricky Jordan, I assume. I don't even know who that is, so no, it's not. (laughs) He's not related to Michael. Okay, all right, so first baseman, it's not Luke Voigt, is it? It's not Luke Voigt. This is like actually not, a pretty it, good it's question. It's sneaky LeMahieu, right? <laughs> it's not LeMahieu. Okay. It is somebody who's been mentioned on the show already. Uh, it's not Trey. Less than though. 10 minutes ago. Huh? Less, oh, is it Carlos Santana? It's Carlos Santana. Wow. 642, 13th overall, first baseman at number two since the beginning of 2019. There you go. Walks. That's why I brought it up. I have him in a sim league, and it's because he's going to get on base. I don't care if he bats 199 again if his on base is 350. Well, that's it. Yeah, you definitely the you can just take that batting average and just delete, delete, delete from all your computations there. But uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I, you know, he's he's old reliable. He he is old reliable. But uh, all right. there's going to be that breaking point in there. <laughs> At some point, there it might be as a royal. Uh, AJ Mass is all reliable. Check out his points league stuff. He not only has rankings and strategy, but he writes stories as well. And he's in our what are these called where we all answer questions uh, roundtables. Yeah, roundtables. I think there's going to be more of those. He'll be in our mock drafts, which I believe start this week. I got a memo about that. So thank you, AJ. And you'll be a fixture on fantasy focused baseball this season. Thank you as always. To our good friend Kyle Sapi, does a great job producing and researching for our fine show. But most of all, he's a good guy. Thanks to Kylie McDaniel, another good guy. Check out his prospect work at ESPN. And I'm Eric Carabell, and I'm a guy. That's it for today. Have an awesome week, and we'll be back with you soon.